0: This morning's scripture reading comes from Colossians 3.22-4.1. It can be found starting on page 984 in the Bible under your seat. Colossians 3.22-4.1 Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. I'm Everett Metters. I'm one of the elders here at Trinity Community Church. Also occasionally a stagehand. I'd like to thank you all for joining us this morning. We're thrilled to have you with you. Thrilled to have you with us and also with yourselves. But we're glad you're here. So I'm a little scattered. Please forgive me. Join me as I pray. Lord, we thank you for your great goodness and your great mercy towards us. That you did not leave us in our sins, but you sent your Son to give himself to save us, to redeem us and reconcile us to yourself. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Father, fill us this morning with your Spirit to hear your word, and to obey it, and to walk in the works that you prepared for us. Father, guide me as I speak. Guide us as we hear, and be glorified in our worship this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So as some of you know, we're in the midst of a break from our series Through Matthew, which promises to extend along into the future, where we're, for the time being, for the summer, we're focusing on the ways that the gospel works out practically in different aspects of our lives. So a couple of weeks ago, Mike shared with us the overall outline of the gospel and what it is, what is the good news of Jesus Christ that we believe. And then last week he shared how that affects the way in which we use our money and our resources. And so this morning, I'm going to talk about how the gospel affects our work and how we approach what we do. And one of the things that stuck out in Mike's message last Sunday was the commercialization or commodification of life in our culture that there was a time when you might measure how well you were doing by your health, or by your overall level of joy, or how you served your community, but there were lots of intangible ways in which you measured your worth. But over time, we've come to focus in many ways on commercial and monetary measures so that we could talk about the the baby crop of 1909 or whatever year it was and how much the babies that year were worth in terms of what they would contribute to the economy. But one of the things that this has done is that it has led us to think of our work in terms of what we're doing that we get paid for, or that produces Commodities that can be sold. So it leaves behind what for most of human history was an integral part of a given person's work life, that is the things they do in the home, the things they do to serve their communities, the things they do for their families, so that we started in some ways to think that If I'm not getting paid to do something then the things that I do are not worth anything they're not important they're not valuable to my community as I was thinking about this in terms of what I did for work over the last week that Monday through Friday every day I drove down to Evanston and went into Northwestern University Library and opened packages and received books and ordered books, and I was paid for that, which is fun for me. I like getting paid to do stuff with books and to open packages. But, uh, but I also, last week, spent time with youth from this church, helping them understand what God is doing in their life. That was three hours of my Wednesday night that I gave to serving other people. Every one of the days of that week, I spent time preparing dinner and preparing lunch and breakfast, actually. Several meals, plus snacks. I spent time working to sustain my life. Yesterday, I spent time going out to deliver furniture for Love, Inc. to some of our neighbors in Waukegan and gurney and to pick up furniture that was no longer needed by people in in other parts of the county I spent time working on a sermon I spent time preparing more meals I spent time doing laundry all of that was work not all of it was something I was paid for and so what I want us to think about when we think about work is whatever we do to sustain our lives and to serve other people And so this means that work is not just something for people who have jobs, but it's something for students who are going to school every day or being homeschooled. Their their work of learning is their work. It applies to stay-at-home parents who are watching children and, and keeping a household. Those who used to, be called, uh, used to be called homemakers, but now are called domestic engineers or t- tiny human wranglers. If you're spending time maintaining a home, raising children in the way that they should go, loving them, changing their diapers, cleaning their laundry, all of that, that is work. For those who are unemployed, you have work not just the full-time job of trying to find a new job, but what you do to serve your family and to serve your community while you wait. For those who are retired, you have work, things that God has given you to do to be a blessing and to extend his kingdom in this world. For those who are disabled and can't have a job because of whatever physical ailment you have work, even if it's just the work of trying to maintain your body day to day, or the work of laboring in prayer for God's kingdom and for your community and for your church. We all have work that God has prepared for us and that he's called us to do. And so I want us to keep that in mind as we go through and we talk about work because I am a child of my generation, of my culture and my time. And I will almost certainly lapse back into talking about work as our job, but it's broader than that. So the good news about work is that God cares what we do, and he empowers us to work to display his glory, to expand his kingdom, and to love our neighbor's. And already I need to speed up, but we're going to be looking at this, it's basically two mini-sermons in one sermon that hopefully isn't too big, but we're going to look at it in terms of the acts of the gospel. Mike talked to us a couple of weeks ago about how we could envision the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, as a series of five acts, like the acts of a play. I have trouble saying the word Acts. So we're going to look at how work is informed by each one of those acts of the gospel. And if you don't remember, the five acts are creation. God has created a physical world that is good. And he has put us, he has put humanity into this world and given us things to do to be his representatives and to extend and display his goodness throughout the world that he's created. So God has created this physical world. He has created our physical life, and it is a good thing. God has also, let me rephrase that, into this good world in which we were placed, when we found ourselves, we rebelled. We did not follow the work that God gave us. We chose to define our lives according to our own desires, our own plans, and so we rebelled against God which led to a curse and a fallenness in our world that results in chaos, death, and evil that's compounded by the daily wrong choices that we make as humans. So God created the world. The world was good. The world is fallen. God was not satisfied to leave us in that broken place of fallenness. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live the life that we were intended to live, to live the perfect life of service, extending God's kingdom, displaying his rule and glory, and to judge and destroy the evil that we created by our wrong choices. And so Jesus came, he lived a sinless life, he died on a cross taking our punishment He was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven and poured out his spirit so that we could walk in the newness of life that he brought for us. And he is bringing us into a new heavens and a new earth that that will be restored from which the evil will be completely eliminated, which will extend throughout eternity in rest and joy in the presence of God. That's the good news, that's the gospel that we believe. So how do the different acts of that gospel affect the work that we do day to day? So if you, if you return to the idea in Act 1, God has created this world, and when the book of Genesis, the first book of the Old Testament of the Hebrew Scriptures, describes God's creation, it describes it as work. It's a different kind of work than what we do because God does things like say, let there be light, and there is light. God does things like say, let the waters be divided and dry land appear, and that happens. But at the end of that passage, it says that God rested from all the work that he had done, and it was good. And moreover, On the sixth day of the creative work, God places, God creates humanity, male and female, and gives them a task. He says to them, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Rule over the earth and subdue it. So part, and then he declared it very good. So part of what God has done in creation and in creating us is given us work. In the second chapter of Genesis, it re-describes the creation, looking at it from a different aspect, and focuses on the creation of man and God placing humans into a garden and giving them a task to tend and keep the garden. God gives them work. Before ever anything is broken, before ever anything falls, God has given us work. And part of what that means is that the fact that we work now is not entirely the result of a curse. It's not entirely the result of the fact that our bodies decay and that we need to work to sustain them and to fight against the forces of entropy. But it is because our good Father created us to fulfill the role of being his representatives in this world and bringing glory to him and displaying his glory in the heavenly realms, in earth, and throughout all creation. So the fact that we work is a good thing. And so whatever your hands find to do for work to sustain your life and to serve others within the overall scheme of God that is at least some good. But as the scriptures tell us we were not satisfied to work as God's representatives. We wanted to take God's place and to define our lives and our existence for ourselves, and so we rejected God's rule. And the result of that is that our work was cursed. This is Act 2 of the Gospel. That because of our rebellion... Now we obtain our food by the sweat of our brow, and the ground produces not bounty, but thorns and thistles and futility. Our work is broken. And so, even though work has been given to us as a good thing, as part of our being the images of God, as part of our being His representatives, it is now cursed to futility. And this results in two branches, two separate ways in which, actually it's three separate ways in which work goes wrong. In their book, The Gospel at Work, Sebastian Traeger and and Greg Gilbert talk about how work results, fallen work leads to idolatry or idleness. That on the one hand, it leads to an idolatry. We want to magnify ourselves in our work. We want to find our fulfillment and our value and all our worth in our work. We want to establish ourselves as independent beings who are self-determining by our work, which leads to an idolatrous pursuit of money for its own sake. It leads to pouring all of our lives into our jobs or all of our lives into our children as a way to define ourselves for ourselves, as a way to demonstrate our value. The brokenness of work leads to idolatry, but it also leads to idleness because it's broken. It's frustrating. I like working with books, but there's times I just want to You know, especially at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I just want to look at Sports Illustrated and see what happened on the NBA transaction wire the night before. Or I want to read about all the different fan theories about Avengers Endgame and what's going to happen. Of course, now we know. Um, But those are me. You may have other temptations, other idlenesses, other ways that you try to avoid work. It leads to a hiding of ourselves that we've been made for God's glory, but we would just want to go along. We just want to get by, make enough money to support whatever we're doing outside of our job and leads to neglect. So work can lead to idolatry. Work can lead to idleness. And the third branch that uh, I'm sure... Gilbert and Traeger talk about but didn't give a cool I word for is just futility and frustration. Everything about our work ultimately disappoints. We have images and views of what we want even with the very best of intentions of how our work's going to go and it inevitably falls short of those expectations. There are days when it seems like everything's gone perfect, and this is awesome, and I love doing this. And there are days when nothing's going, and it's just a drag. There are days when you feel like you've achieved the pinnacle of whatever it is you want in your career, or days when it feels like your kids just completely get whatever it is you're trying to teach them. And then there are days when you realize that this pinnacle of your career is not actually as high as the next pinnacle or as as, as the, the guy across the hall has gotten to his pinnacle. His pinnacle is higher than mine. And there are days when kids just, they're electrons. They just go zip off on their own and with no regard for whatever you want them to do or whatever, whatever, whatever meaning and joy you're trying to create in this vacation, they're just tired and cranky. And they don't recognize that this big Grand Canyon ditch thing is really special. All our work has futility. So in the third act of the gospel... God does something to change what has been broken. From all eternity, God existed in a perfect interrelationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And out of that eternal love, God chose to create this world that was broken. And seeing that brokenness in the eternal council of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and became a man, became one of us to live that life we were supposed to do and consider how Jesus did that. He says in Mark chapter 10 that the Son of Man came not to serve, but to be served and to give his life as a ransom for many. In John chapter 5, he talks about the fact that the Father is working and I am working up till this day. In Philippians chapter 2, it talks about how the Son of God did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and took the form of a slave or a servant and was found in appearance as man and humbled himself and became obedient. From all eternity, the Son of God lived in glory and love and joy with his Father, ruling over all the creation once it was created. And he became a man and lived for 20 years as a carpenter, as a woodworker or possibly a mason, depending on how you translate and what they were doing in the city of Sepphoris, outside Nazareth in Galilee. He came and was a laborer. He was not a king. He was not a philosopher. He was not a politician. He was not a grandee residing on cushions, reclining on cushions. That's the word I'm looking for. He was a laborer, working every day, and not only was he doing actual physical work, but he was also doing the work of redemption, living our life, paying for our sins so that we might be redeemed. This is constantly described in Scripture as the work of Jesus Christ. So the Son of God came to work to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that leads into the fourth act of the gospel, which is redemption in the life and the now and the not yet. And for us, it means that our work has been redeemed. Jesus finished work. His work on the cross frees us to work for his glory and the good of our neighbors. And we can see a little bit of this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, where it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, God has redeemed us that we might work. And if you think about the structure of Ephesians, the first three verses of Ephesians are laying out the plan and the mystery of God's will, first three verses. The first three chapters, although the first three verses do also do that. The first three chapters of Ephesians, the last three chapters of Ephesians talk about how this plan is put into action in our lives. And a part of that is that we should labor so as to be able to give to those who are in need. That is part of the good works that God has, given, has created for us in advance that we should walk in. There's a lot of other amazing stuff in there. Please read Ephesians again and again and again. So our work is redeemed. That means that we are able to work not with reference to ourselves, but with reference to God and His purposes in the world. So, whatever work we find, we work for His purposes. Our work is redeemed. And finally, the final movement, of, the final act of the gospel is the eternal redemption and restoration of all things in the new heavens and the new earth the eternal rest that God calls us into. And there's something interesting about this eternal rest that I want us to look at in Isaiah chapter 65. Isaiah was one of the Hebrew prophets who was sent by God to call his people to faithfulness, but also to proclaim to them a hope for the future. And so in in chapter 65, verses 17 to 18, and then in 21 and 22, this is just part of a much bigger picture, He says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. And then skipping down to verse 21, They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit They shall not plant, and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. And one of the things you notice, if you look at the scriptural images of our eternal state with God, is that they often involve these images of a new city and of a garden. So when you look at the end of the book of Revelation, It's talking about the new Jerusalem, but it's also talking about the tree of life that's growing in the midst of the city with leaves and fruit for the healing of the nations, just as the tree of life grew in the midst of the garden in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis and Eden. And one of the interesting things about the images of garden and city are that both of those are images of places of work. The new city of God is a place where the nations are bringing their glory into the city. The garden is a place that we tend and keep and harvest these fruits that are for healing. God created us For good work. And God has called us to an eternity of good work, not the labor and futility and toil that we find now, but something redeemed, something that we can scarcely imagine, so that He has so that Isaiah has to approach it from the side by talking about these fields that produce that are not fields of futility where we're sowing things and it's wasted by famine or locust. Where he talks about it as a tree that grows and flourishes. So there is an eternal vision for our work, but that eternal place is also a place of rest. And somehow, all of what we hope for from our work, all of what we hope for joy and for fulfillment and peace and for the end of toil will be found in a restful work in the new creation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so now I want to circle back and just look at a few things about redeemed work, about our work in the now and the not yet. So I want to look back to the passage that Mary read for us from Colossians chapter 3, and I'm going to add verse 17 and then read 22 to 4.1. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Slaves, slaves, Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now this tells us a few things, and I want to focus on three of them, a few things about work, redeemed work in the now and not yet. We have been saved by Christ. We are being saved and prepared for this eternal kingdom. But for now, all of creation is still groaning waiting for the fullness of its redemption. So even though our work is still broken and marred by sin, it's given new purpose as we work for Christ to display his goodness and glory. So about that brokenness, Paul here is addressing slaves. And it is hard to imagine work that is more broken than slavery where all of the fruit of your labor is owned only by another person. Where you are subject to their whims, to their power, to their commands. Where you are at the mercy of another fallen human being. And it's important to note that slavery in the Roman world was not identical to the slavery that we remember from the American past particularly not identical in that it wasn't a racial slavery. So if you were walking along the streets of Ephesus and you saw a black man, you didn't automatically assume that he was a slave or the streets of Colossae, which is where this was written. Slaves could be from any class, from any part of society. And for, in that world, obtaining your freedom was a much simpler thing That's a terrible way to say that. Obtaining your freedom was a much more possible thing, a much more attainable goal than it was in the American South or in Brazil under Brazilian slavery. But it was nevertheless a brutal system and an evil system. And yet, in the midst of that, Paul, speaking to these believers who might be enslaved to people who are complete pagans, or who might be enslaved to other believers, because that's the way the society worked. Speaking to those people, Paul says, Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. It's also important to note that when he says obey in everything, that there is no authority on earth that has the right, or the authority to command you to do something that is against God's will. Because authority comes from God. And so any human who claims the power to do that has usurped power and is speaking sinfully. Keep that in mind. So if you are a laborer, if you are a worker, and your boss commands you to do something that violates God's will. The command here is not to obey that because man's authority cannot usurp God's. But one of the things about broken work is that it means that there are jobs, there are careers, there are works that are completely opposed to God's will. If your work is specifically designed to cheat or to harm other people, if your work is specifically designed to exploit others and to draw from them things that they have no right to give, then you need to find other work. And we as a body need to support you in that. So examine what it is you do and ask yourself does my career, even though it's broken, even though it it falls short of God's purposes, does it nevertheless honor God? Or does it contribute to the breaking of his creation? And to to the degrading of his people? And if it does, you need to find something else, and we need to support you as your brothers and sisters. But, If you feel like what you're doing can pass that test, even if it's working on the line at a fast food counter, working at the checkout of a grocery store, working as a nanny, whatever it is relative to the scales of earthly prestige and relative to the scales of how fulfilling and how joy-bringing is this job, because some jobs are drudgery, but drudgery also serves. Drudgery also can build up and express love for others. My sister, after her first year of college, she, she dropped out. She basically dropped out while she was going. She, she attended two semesters of college and got credit for one class because she just, she partied, she wasted the time. So she dropped out and she went back home, lived with mom and dad, and spent about a year and a half, I think, working as the checkout girl slash bagger at the local Kroger grocery store. And years later, years later, there were still people who would see my mom at Kroger's or at church and tell her how much in had blessed them when they'd gone through her line at the checkout counter because of her cheerfulness, because of her spirit when they came through that line. In Proverbs chapter 14, it says, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Whatever your work, you have the opportunity to serve the people around you to serve your bosses, to serve your neighbors, to serve your communities, and to bless them, and to build them up, even when you don't see that. Because I'm sure Ann didn't notice everybody that was blessed when, she went through, when they went through her checkout line. But when we work, we work for the Lord Jesus Christ, because we have been redeemed and purchased by him, even when you were a slave, if you were a believer, you are not a slave to your master on earth. You are a slave to God because you have been bought with a price. And so serve wholeheartedly as though you were working for Jesus in whatever you do. So second when we're working in the now and not yet, we are called to work against the curse of sin by working to love our neighbors, which I've just talked about some of that. But specifically, I want to look at at chapter 4, verse 1, where it says, Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. God is calling those who have workers placed under them to treat them justly and fairly, treat them with equity as God would treat them, as they want to be treated. Just as Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So if you are a manager, a supervisor, if you have people working under you, do not lord over them. Do not glory in your power over your underlings. But knowing that work is broken and in many ways is futile, do what you can as far as is in you to manage and supervise the way that you want Jesus to manage you. Humanize your work. In as much as you can, don't hold people to your power. Don't hold them to unreasonable and unjust company policies, if you can. Treat your workers as though they are the sons and daughters of the king, because they are. And part of what this means, one of the most important commandments, one of the top 10, that the Israelites received was the command of Sabbath, the command of rest. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, when Moses repeats the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel, he calls them to the Sabbath to rest one day a week. Not only because, as in the version of the Ten Commandments in Exodus, God rested when he finished his work of creation, but he calls them to rest because you once were slaves. And God redeemed you and brought you into a land of rest. And so, if you are a supervisor, if you are a manager, if you're the owner of a company, forbid your workers from working 24 7 for your company. Give them rest. Do everything that, as far as in you lies. Because you were redeemed, God has given and called you to rest. So you call your workers to rest. To not live their lives for your company. To not live their lives for your department or your unit. But to take time for Sabbath to worship and remember that they have been redeemed by God. Do not abuse those who are under you. And finally, in our redeemed work, in the now and the not yet, we can work in hope and joy because of our promised inheritance in Christ. We know that our life does not depend on ourselves, that we cannot sustain ourselves in existence. We know that our life doesn't depend solely on how much I can earn or how much I can do. But it depends on the grace of God. And so when we work, we work in the hope of the promised inheritance that Christ has given for us. The thing, all of the good promises that are saved up for us in heaven. So we're not working, I'm not working for the money that I make in the 37 and a half hours at Northwestern. I mean, that's important to me, and it's very helpful. But I work for Christ, and he has a promised reward that is far greater than whatever I can make in my job. Work for that inheritance, for what he has set in store for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Let that thought, when your boss completely overlooks all the time you put in on that last project, when your boss doesn't know how much you weren't able to get done because you were helping the person across the, across the, in the cubicle across the hall, when, when your kids just again, really don't care whatever it is you're doing, and they're just demanding what they want. When you're not getting from your work what you desire, remember that Christ is the one you're working for and that he has set aside a sure inheritance and rejoice in that and let that knowledge pervade and transform your attitude that I have an inheritance in Christ. My life is hidden in Christ as it says in Colossians chapter, chapter 3, verse 1. As it says earlier in the chapter, it's chapter three, chapter 3, verse 3. Your life is hidden with Christ. Remember that and let that transform your attitude. Don't work grumbling and complaining. Work rejoicing because you have an inheritance set aside in Christ. There's a little poem that I I heard on a podcast this week that was kind of being dismissed in the podcast, but it says this, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And a lot of times, some of us have heard that, we've seen that stitched on, you know, things hanging on walls. And, and we thought, well, this means that only work that I do is evangelism, only work that I do for the church, only work that missionaries do, whatever. That's the only thing that's important. That's not what it says. And it's actually a two-line bit taken out of a much longer poem by C.T. Studd, which I just looked up about an hour and a half ago and so didn't have time to write it down. So look it up. Poem by C.T. Studd, Only One Life Will Soon Be Passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. What has Paul just told us? Let everything you do, everything, be done for Christ so that in this one life that soon will be passed, everything you do will last because you have been doing it for Christ. One of the things we want to do with these sermons on the gospel is to think up some practical application that you can work out each week so that we're not just standing up here talking and you're hearing it and then just letting it go. And so a couple of things that you can do this week to apply the gospel in your work. The first is to pray. I like prayer, so I'm always going to suggest that first. Pray for your work. And if you're available and you're start, you want to start off the work week with prayer and seeking God, 6 a.m. in the prayer room upstairs every Monday morning, come join me and pray if you can. And we'll pray for your work. We'll pray for my work. We'll pray for all kinds of amazing good things for God. 6 a.m. Monday mornings. A lot of people can't do that. I know that. If you can, join me. Pray with your community group, but also pray as you work. There's a technique in business called the Pomodoro Technique where you take, I think it's five minutes out of every hour to to sort of recenter yourself and take these short breaks. If you've got a job or work that allows you to do that, take that five minutes and spend that time meditating on the gospel, on the goodness of God for you and on for what God wants to do in your work that day. If you can't do it every hour, Do it the last five minutes of your lunch break. The first five minutes when you get into work. Examine your attitudes and mindsets. Pay attention to what you're thinking as you work. Are you frustrated by the futility? Are you thinking, man, what I'm doing here, nobody notices, nobody cares, it doesn't produce anything, and yet it serves the other people in your your office? If your company is publicly traded, it probably funds my dad's retirement and the retirement of a lot of other people through 401ks. We have a very complex economy, and the things we do, even when we don't know that that anybody knows what they are, spread out like ripples through that whole economy. Pay attention to your attitudes and think, if I was working for Jesus... Would I feel this way right now? And then remember, you are working for Jesus if you are a follower of his. And let that change and transform what you're doing. And finally, just imagine your work in this coming week and think of one scenario, one task, and think to yourself, how do I want to see God reveal himself and work in this encounter this week Pray about that. Share that vision, that imagining that you have with someone else so that they can be praying for you. And if you find yourself tempted to sin at any point in any of your work, this is very practical, this is very basic. If if you find a a corner you can cut, if 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 you're falling into that mindset where the boss comes up and says, why aren't you working? And you want to say, because I didn't see you coming. Whatever it is. If you find yourself tempted to sin, don't do it. Repent. Turn away. Walk with God because you're working for him. So let me pray for us. Band, come back up and we'll continue to worship. Holy Spirit, for every one of us here that knows you, every one of us here that believes and trusts in you, Lord, I invite you into our work. This week, whether it's at home, whether it's in the market, whatever it is. Lord, we are your servants, and you have called us, and you yourself have come to give us power to glorify Jesus Christ and to extend to the kingdom of God. Lord, we invite you into our work this week. Help us to love our coworkers. Help us to love our bosses. Help us to love those underneath us. Help us to love our kids and our husbands and our wives. Lord, help us to walk for your glory this week in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen.